both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to this episode of the Bizval podcast. By now, you're well aware of what this is all about. We speak to interesting entrepreneurs, advisors, people who have built their own businesses, people who have sold their own businesses, people who help others do exactly that. And I think it's becoming a pretty good uh, library of resources, really, for entrepreneurs and founders. So welcome to this show. I think it'll be just as good as all the others. Um, I'm here with Cliff Spollender from the UK. And Cliff, you are an entrepreneur. You are an author, which I think is really cool. One of my silly dreams is to write a book one day. I don't know why. I clearly am just a masochist. You help you help entrepreneurs exit their businesses, which is probably the single most important transaction any entrepreneur will ever do. So I'm going to stop there and uh, say hello to you so people can hear your voice. They don't think I'm making you up. And uh, Cliff, thank you for doing the show with us. Thanks for having me, Ghost. I really appreciate it. No, it's going to be a goodie. I think we're going to cover some important ground here. I think before we get into some of the questions I've got, it is worth you just giving us a bit of a two-minute background, you know, how you got into doing what it is you are doing today. Um, that's a good question. Um, I, as I said before on your on your show, that I'm also an ex-African moved to the UK and I started off my career in the South African Navy uh, before moving to the UK. And I've always loved business, even in Cape Town and Pretoria, we're looking for ways of making money. And so when I moved to the UK, I realized how easy it was to start a business in the UK. And so uh, back in 2001, we started our first business. Since then, um, I've started many others, uh, but mainly I've franchised one, I've licensed another in five countries, and I've bought and sold four of my own companies. Uh, and now using the, the learnings, experience, and the methodologies that I've created, I now help um, accountants work with their clients, and I work with owners to help them exit, scale, grow the business so that they can eventually successfully exit the business at the point when they need to or want to. 20,001, it sounds like back to the future. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think for some people, building their businesses feels like it'll take until 20,001, uh, which is a long way away. Sometimes, and uh, yeah. sometimes it does. Yes. Uh, and I guess part of what we'll talk about on this show is how to make that a bit faster because 20,001 is a long way away. So uh, Cliff, the first question from my side is just this word scale. People throw it around very, very loosely. It's very much part of startup folklore now, what does it really mean in practice? And, and the reason I ask, it sounds like a stupid question, but scale can mean many things. Does that just mean the business is bigger? And then on what metric? You know, is it revenue? Is it the number of staff handing around in the office at the water cooler? Is it profits? What about scaling your time as an entrepreneur? You know, how do you view this? It's a question I get asked quite a lot. And I think for, for many owners, there's a misconception around or, or an understanding around what growth is versus scaling. I think we just need to kind of deal with those two definitions first. Every owner wants to grow the business. I think that's that's a fact. But what I found is when when a company first starts out, uh, the, it's very owner-centric. The owner does everything. They're involved in everything. And that's natural and that's normal. But as the company starts to grow, um, and as they could probably hustle their way to, to a million 
pounds in, in the UK. But that's where they kind of, kind of plateau. If, if they grow anything more, then they, they struggle. They, they end up in kind of burnout. And that's because as, as the, the company grows, the, the problems that the owner has to deal with on a day-to-day level will grow with the business. And so there's only a finite capacity that an owner can has and, and can deal with. And so when they look to, to scale or to grow to two, three, four, five million, those problems will grow at the same rate. When you scale a business, that's slightly different. So when we, before you actually start to increase your turnover, your revenues, we will look at the business, look at what problems uh, that they currently experiencing, and we'll deal with those problems using people, procedures, and processes. So that means as the business grows, those problems will grow as well. However, they are dealt with not by the owner, but by people, processes, and procedures. And that then allows the owner to grow the business, expand the business without then getting bogged down in the day-to-day running of the business. So that's the, the main difference between growing and scaling a business. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, I think for every entrepreneur, that's the dream, right? Is to be able to actually have other people who can just get things done, a chief get things done officer and uh, and support staff from there because that's the biggest problem for any entrepreneur is in the early days, you are the product. And then at some point, you know, you do just run out of day. I don't care how hardworking you are. It's impossible. It is. Uh, and I think owners have, have a choice. And initially, there they aren't any choices. They are the, the chief cook and bottle washer. They, they're involved in everything. But as the company grows, the, the, the choice is Either they can remain the expert in the business, remain the go-to person to fix problems, deal with problems, or they could relinquish control. They could trust people. Yes, they're going to go through teething problems. Yes, they're going to go through hiring maybe the wrong person. But in the end, it does free up time. It does free up their resources. It does give them a better quality of life. Some owners, they are control freaks. They want to control everything. And that's absolutely fine. Um, as long as they are aware of the consequences and the consequences would be, for instance, if they were to go on holiday, there would be emails, phone calls, problems to deal with, but also that will affect and have an impact on valuation. Because if everything is centered around them and they come to sell the business, then the buyer will go, well, if you're in the middle of everything, I don't want to be in the middle of, of everything. That's a risk. I don't know if I could carry out the task you can or get the results you can because I don't have the relationships you do or the experience you do. And so it does cause some sort of reduction in valuation and increase in risk. So yes, I think if, if an owner gets to the point where they're growing and they are at the point where they, a decision has to be made, do I keep control over everything and, and be the, the chief day-to-day operator? Or do I look to be the company's CEO and have people, processes, and procedures deal with the day-to-day running of the business? And that's a decision that every owner will have to make at some point. I have a very good mate of mine. He's a successful business owner. He's done it a couple of times now. And he always jokes that his laziness is his like secret weapon, basically. He just... He is inherently lazy and I mean that in the nicest way because he says that himself, you know, and it, and it is, it's a superpower for him because he just asks himself, geez, you know, I don't want to do this work. How do I get someone else to do it? And actually, ironically, 
it's a great attribute for an entrepreneur. <laughs> Inevitably, entrepreneurs go in as these like hardworking, 18 hours a day, I can do this, you know, running into the wind kind of people. And actually, yes, in the beginning, you probably need that. But at some point, you definitely need to start applying, you know, the Garfield layer of, geez, it would be nice to just lie around on my couch all day having a snooze. How do I get to that life? Exactly. And that's a question I ask myself. Every company that I've bought, the four companies that I have bought, I've looked at how can I get myself out of the day-to-day running as quickly as possible? What can I do to make my life easier? What can I do that I am repeating day in, day out that I could get someone else to do or get some piece of software or procedure in place to take care of, of those issues? And having that kind of mindset of how do I get myself out of this business as quickly as possible will lend itself to having a better quality of life, more time freedom, the, the initial downside to that is, yes, your profit's going to drop because you're going to be employing people. There, there will be extra overheads to, to pay for, but those overheads are buying you time. So it's a, it's a trade-off. And, and, and over a period of you know, months or maybe a couple of years, then your profits will return back to normal, but you then have your time back. You can focus on either growing your business even more or maybe looking at new opportunities. So it does give you options at the end of the day. Absolutely. I fully agree with that. So I want to move on to the next point, which is, you know, this concept you have of business by design. And I like the sound of that because it talks to having the strategies in place right up front and actually designing what you want this business to look like. And again, that sounds super obvious. And in high school, you get taught, you know, do a business plan, but you have no real understanding of what that means. And you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of actually sitting down and doing it as formally as that. I think it's more an iterative process and it's understanding. If you don't understand it, you can't write it down. It's as simple as that. So it's more about understanding what does it mean to design a business? You know, I almost see it like an architect designing a house. The house is the business and then you need to fill it with with the things you need to fill it with. But it requires that, I suppose, that ability to visualize what to do with that empty piece of land. You know, what house should go here? What should it look like? Which way should it face? All of those elements, that's designing a business. Would you agree with that, that that's, you know, more or less what that means? Yes, and I think I'll, I'll probably go a few steps further than that as well because the, the business isn't a standalone entity. The business consists of a person, an owner, and that owner also has financial commitments, financial dreams and goals. And so the, the whole kind of looking at your, your, your house and your architect analogy, yes, you've got a piece of land and yes, you could be building a business, but what ultimately is the purpose of this business? You know, what do you want to fill your house with? How do you want it to look? What kind of, how many bedrooms do you want to have? What's the actual function purpose of it? And so the, the, the view I take is that we need to look at, yes, the business. We need to make sure the business is attractive. It's sellable. It gives the owner the space and time that they want in order to, to achieve their personal goals. They may have personal goals that won't be able to be realized if a business doesn't produce enough cash or, or time so that they can spend time doing it. But more crucially, is the business able to fulfill their financial dreams and goals and give them the financial security at an age when they want to retire or slow down? And so building a business and designing a business ensures that the business grows ideally without them stuck in the middle. But for some, for, for, for many SMEs, the owner is the business and that's absolutely fine. But it's the, it's the ability to look at the business and say, right, okay, this is what I want to achieve personally, and this is what I need financially to achieve financial security. And so we need to look at how can the business achieve those 
two goals. So business by design, it looks at those three key areas, the business, the personal as the owner and their financial situation to make sure that all three are working in harmony, everything's been achieved and the business has a purpose, has an end goal and the owner knows the type of exit that they are looking to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about planning. And a lot of people think that means once a year, you go and hire out a little boardroom at a little hotel, you know, and get a nice overpriced lunch and have dun 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 a strat day. And that, you know, puts fear in the heart of half the people in the team. And it's a huge hassle in terms of just stress around taking the time out of the business and everything else. But everyone does it. So maybe it's the right thing to do. Maybe it's not the right thing to do. I want to hear your views on that. What do you think of the classic annual strat day? What do you think is the right way to do this? I think annual strat days are great. I think they have a place and they are, are important. And I certainly do them myself. It's a good starting point. But I think we, we kind of have to have, go through two, two kind of iterations. The first one is, what's the long-term 5, 10, 15-year ultimate goal? Break that down and say, right, okay, we want to achieve the business goals, personal goals, financial goals in 10 years' time. What do we need to do in year one to achieve those goals? So we, yes, having those as annual strat days are great. But then I'll go into one step further in that we then review your progress every 90 days. And so the owner will sit down and choose tasks to work on to fulfill the year one goals in the first 90 days. They'll choose tasks to do that. We review those every month and then we have a strategy day at the end of each quarter to make sure that they have achieved those tasks. If they haven't achieved those tasks, why haven't they? And can they be achieved in Q2 or Q3? And we continue that process every quarter until the end of the year. Now, during the, the actual year, things may have changed for the owner, personally or, or this, you know, within the sector or within the business. And so we will review what's gone on in the business over the past 12 months, look at where the owner wants to go in the next 12 months, but also to see, again, further ahead, where they want to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years' time, and then work backwards. We then create another strategy for the next 12 months and then review those every 90 days again, but keep the owner accountable every single month to make sure that they are on track. If they have encountered any potential issues, can we resolve them before the end of the quarter? And if not, can we move into Q2? Or what, what needs to happen in order for those tasks to be completed so that their year goals have been achieved to move them forward? So yeah, strategy days are good on an annual basis, but they need to be supplemented by probably a five, 10 year plan broken down into monthly and quarterly goals. Yeah, it's very much about just pushing through. I mean, that's been my own experience in some respects. I think you you have an idea, you start a business, it, it works, you know, and it gets to a point where you feel like, okay, cool, it's doing well, but it's that journey of number one, how do you protect that? And you can only protect it if you are doing this kind of stuff, you know, quarterly target setting, what can I do next? You can't just assume that the business you have today will still be there in three months or six months or nine months time. The world moves way too quickly for that. And I think that's a challenge for entrepreneurs and it's part of why they eventually just get tired, I think, is that constant need to just think and innovate and push through and drive the thing forward. And for a lot of people, they left corporate because they wanted to go and be you know, entrepreneurs who have the freedom. And one of the challenges of scaling your business is over time, guess what you're doing? You're making it feel a little bit more corporate. You know, Hopefully you don't bring back a lot of the elements that you hated, but I guess, Cliff, that's the reality. If you want something you can sell one day, it needs to exist apart from you and by definition 
that means it's going to start to look and feel a little bit more like the corporate that you probably left behind in order to start this business. I mean, there's a bit of a full circle element to it, isn't there? There is. Uh, I also believe uh, there's, there's, there needs to be balance as well. So yes, you can operate. I think SMEs have the ability to, to pivot quite quickly. They are agile things. Corporate, they are like an oil tanker. It takes a long time to move. So, but there's a balance. The, some some of the corporate stuff, the, the systems and procedures, and how they conduct themselves, will fit quite nicely within an SME setting, where SMEs don't have that structure. But they need to be able to pivot and move quite quickly. So there's a balance to be had. So yes, it will it will take on more of a corporate feel. But I think the ability to to move quickly and to adapt quickly and not to be driven and stuck by those systems and procedures is vital. They can be able to change those systems and procedures to suit the climate that they're currently in. So it is a bit of a balancing act, but yes, it will take on more of a corporate feel. Yep, it's just one of those things really. And and your focus is very much on helping entrepreneurs actually exit their business. It's not just planning for one day, one day. It's the actual process and everything else. But in your experience, do you find some entrepreneurs reach that point where they can theoretically sell and then they actually say, hang on, I've done all the hard work now. You know, I get three hours a day of uh, channeling my inner Garfield to go and do whatever I want, including have a siesta. This is actually quite nice or quite lacquer, as we'd say in South Africa. Uh, you know, can I just earn the dividends on this thing for the rest of time and, and just be involved as the executive chairman and play golf? I mean, obviously very tongue in cheek. It's never quite that easy. But how many entrepreneurs do you experience get to that point? They can sell it, but they go, actually, hang on. This is a legacy wealth creator. I'm going to stick this through. Well, I think it, it all revolves around the understanding and the definition of exit planning and what exiting a business is. So let's define that first, and then I'll come on to your to answer to your, your question. In my research, I found that when I've asked owners, what do they understand exit planning to be or exiting a business to be? Some say they view that as a sign of failure. If you've exited a business, you failed which I found quite interesting. So I never ever viewed that as a, as, a, as a concept. Many other people view exiting solely as selling a business. And that's it. Yes, selling a business is one way to exit a business, but there are other ways to exit. And the thing what we need to realize is that every single owner, don't care who you are, you will exit your business. I can promise you that now. Like death and taxes are certain, Exiting a business is certain. The question is, how are you going to exit? And there are three main ways of exiting a company, and that's through selling. Yes, that's where most people will, will place it. But you also can exit a company through planned liquidation. The third way is to close your business down. And for many SMEs where the owner is the business, yes, they're going to be closing the company down. They can't sell. There aren't any tangible assets. That's absolutely fine. But are they using the business to drive and fund their personal and financial plans. So that's the definition we need to understand is, you know, what do they want from the business? How are they going to exit? What is the ideal plan for them? Now, to come on to, to your comment there is, you know, they reach a particular point where they have three hours a day to do whatever they want. They've achieved the lifestyle that they want. Why should they sell? Well, exit planning is all about giving an owner options. They have the option to exit be it to sell, liquidate, or to close down, or they have the option to keep it. Now, one client uh, I worked with a few months ago, we did a full assessment of, of their personal business and financial plan, 
and they realized that if they uh, employ two more people, the owner will actually have quite a nice lifestyle that won't be involved in the day-to-day -day running of the company, which means that although the company won't make as much profit, it will still give them the lifestyle they want. So they can then choose, well, I can sell the business because essentially anyone could buy it because the owner coming into the business or the buyer coming into the business won't need the experience in running it. They have a team to do it. Or they can keep it because the owner actually isn't involved in the day-to-day -day stuff. They can go on holiday for two or three months and the company will still run and grow. So it's about giving owners options and choices. So if they want to need to sell or exit, they can, or if they'd like to have three, three hours a day off to themselves and enjoy the dividends, then that's also absolutely fine. So it's about choice and it's about options. And for some entrepreneurs, the business is actually just too small to get these sort of people in, right? Because I mean, you've touched on the point about lower profitability and it's a very important point. And that's what stops a lot of people scaling. You know, they manage to build a business that is gently burning them out, but it's not big enough to bring in another person with the right skill set to really help them scale. And so I think what entrepreneurs, and I love your thoughts on this, I think what they sometimes get wrong is they don't take a proper look at all the tasks they are doing in the business and ask themselves, okay, like I can't replace myself because you know another me in totality is going to want to earn what I earn from the business and then there's nothing left. But can I take my worst 20% of tasks and scale that? by bringing someone new into the business and then free up a portion of my time and then maybe take that 20% of my time that I've just freed up and use it on the value generating stuff that I should be doing. And then in that process, you start to actually realize how to scale. I mean, I think that even just speaking from personal experience, I mean, I think that's the journey for a lot of entrepreneurs as they get on the scale ladder. 100%. I think, I say, many owners, uh, especially on, on the smaller end, they are the business system in the company. Uh, but they can still operate in, in that same sort of fashion. They don't potentially need to, to take on someone, but they can contract the work out. So for instance, they could hire a virtual PA to take care of the, the phone calls or the organizing of, of booking of meetings and, and your diary. They could take on a social media or digital marketing agency to take care of the LinkedIn, Facebook posts, whatever the case is. They can farm out certain elements within the business that may not fit within their skill set or they think that are, you know, it doesn't work for them. It's not, it's not their jam, not, it's not their wheelhouse. They, they want to focus on the, the, the income, the revenue generating task. So they can essentially list down all the areas within the business that they need to have and then find people, be it on Upwork, Fiverr, local people to, to contract that work out giving them that time freedom to focus on the things that they enjoy doing. So yes, they still will be in the business, but they will be freeing up a lot of their time uh, by contracting things out that they don't, they don't actually enjoy doing. Absolutely. I think uh, as we start to bring this podcast to a close, I just want to understand a little bit more about the process and when you work with these entrepreneurs. You know, what is the typical starting point for an engagement with you? At what stage in the journey does an entrepreneur actually reach out to you? And what typically triggers that decision for them? You know, what is the mindset that has led to them sending you an email or asking for a copy of the book or whatever the case may be? It is, um, they get the point where they look at their life, they think, right, I now need to start planning what my you know, next chapter will look like. And the process that I typically go through is that, like map reading, in the military, you know, both in the South African Navy and the British Army, 
we, we, when you're doing any sort of navigation, there are three things you have to know before setting out. And the first one is your current location. You need to know where you are on the map. Second of all, you need to know where your destination is. And then the third, you need to plot a route to get you from where you are now to that destination. So those are the three key points that you have to figure out. And in the assessment that I do, I look at all three. I look at where the owner is within their business, personal life and financial life, where do they want to ultimately go. And then that process, that assessment will automatically generate a personal master action plan or a map that will get them from where they are now to where they need to go, listing tasks they need to work on within their business, personal and financial life so that they can progress forward. So when they do approach me, the first thing we do is we undertake this assessment. Essentially, it's a, it's a pre-exit assessment to look at what they need to do in order to, to move all three key plans forward. But the key point is understanding exactly where they are and also understanding how much a company is worth, understanding how much money they're going to need to, to retire and what they want to achieve pre and post exit. Once we understand that and once we understand where they want to be, we can find a pathway to get them to that, to that ultimate goal. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think in terms of the pathway and how long this takes, I mean, that's the biggest thing for entrepreneurs. I guess when you get to the point where you're thinking about scaling and selling maybe, what you should be doing is thinking about it way ahead of time. I think far too many entrepreneurs think about it way down the line and then they think, okay, great. You know, if I just change some things for the next nine months, I'll be, you know, on the beach this time next year. That's what I've promised my partner and my kids. Unfortunately, that's not how life works. So in your experience, how long does it take to start seeing some tangible results in terms of freeing up a bit of time or whatever the case may be? And then how long does it take, again, it's very much an average, the answer will depend on each company you're dealing with, but how long does it take until the business is actually exit ready? Uh, the first part of the question, where, when will they see results? Well, the results typically happen within the first three to six months. They'll get the time back. We'll look at what they need to do. We look at all the high value, low cost, the kind of the low hanging fruit tasks that will drive value within the business and reduce risk within the business. So in the first three to six months, they will start to see results. But typically to get a company exit ready, be it to sell or liquidate or to close down, three to five years typically, because there's a lot of things that need to be put in place, a lot of things that need to move, trends need to change, and things need to be put in place. And that does take time and a lot of focus. So typically three to five years, but ideally, again, if we can start as early as possible, and, and Stephen Covey always puts it, you know, you begin with the end in mind. So ideally, an owner should be looking at how they're going to exit the company the day the company starts trading. And the reason why I say that is, um, I don't know what the stats are in, in South Africa at the moment, but I know in the US and the UK, around 50% of owners will be forced to exit. And that's typically due to a change in their personal circumstances. So by being in a perpetual state of exit readiness, should life throw you a curveball, should something happen to your personal life, and you need to or you can't work in the business anymore, you can press the exit button and, and get out. So my philosophy is always be in a continual state of exit readiness so that you know, life's unpredictable, should it throw you a curveball, again, you have options. And all too often I'm seeing owners thinking that, yeah, I'll do it next year, I'll do it next year, I'll do it next year, and all of a sudden they get hit with a, a, 
a diagnose, diagnosis of cancer or something happens in their family life and, that, and they can't work in the business or their, their attention gets diverted. And so being in that state of exit readiness gives them the, the choices and the options. They say, all right, okay, I can exit now and know that my family's taken care of and I'm in a, in a good financial position as well. So that's my philosophy is always be in a perpetual state of exit readiness. Yeah, I think that's very good advice. It's the stuff that no one likes to think about, but unfortunately you need to think about. Run it like it's for sale. And it'll actually be a much better business for it. You know, you'll be thinking about scaling your time. You'll have the systems in place. Your compliance will be up to date. Your taxes, your accounting, all the stuff that entrepreneurs are notoriously bad at will then actually be in decent shape. And Cliff, I think that's a really strong point to end the show on. Uh, for those who want to reach out to you, who, you know, maybe want to get a copy of your book or, or, or you know, schedule a consultation with you. Do you work with business owners from around the world? Do you focus very much on the UK? And then how do people contact you? Sure. Um, you can. My website is businessbydesign.co.uk. Um, I work with companies uh, all over the world. I've got companies in Spain, Belgium, UK, France, the US. So I can go global due to the, uh, the wonders of the internet. We've got two books out, uh, The Cashflow Code and The Smarter Exit, all can be found on Amazon. So they can contact me uh, through those books or through my website, which is businessbydesign.co.uk. Fantastic, Cliff. Thank you so much for your time. Such an insightful chat and really interesting. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And to our listeners, work back through the Bizval Library. There are a bunch of shows that are just as good as this one. There's a lot to learn. And our mission is very much to empower entrepreneurs and get these insights into your thinking all the time as you look to build your business, value it with Bizval, see how you're doing, potentially exit it one day. That's what everyone wants, right? So Cliff, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me.